Uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. As you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 24, if you could also turn to Psalms chapter 1 and Romans 12. Psalms chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12, as we'll be looking at those passages as well. On Wednesday, I was spending some time in this text, in this passage, and studying and, and praying. And the title that came to me Thursday evening as I was going to sleep was Overcoming Evil. It was perfect for what we would go through as a community this week is we're attempting to overcome evil. We see that Paris attacks, the ISIS attacks that took place two weeks ago, now the shooting in our community, and there's no doubt that there's evil around us, and God's encouragement and instruction is to overcome evil. David is also facing evil. He's encountering evil in a very personal way with Saul. Saul is intent upon hunting him, upon killing him, and David chooses to not be overcome with evil. From God's own instruction, from his own mouth, he says this, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. When we face evil, when all of a sudden evil is in front of us, the tendency, the temptation is to be overcome with it, to have a spirit of fear, to walk in fear. And then if we're not careful, we get bitter, we get angry, and before we know it, we become evil like the person that we have encountered. There's a very strong temptation for David to become like Saul here. Saul is the one who takes matters into his own hands. Saul is the one who's thrown his spear to try to kill Saul. And David now, it becomes a real possibility where he'll become a murderer himself. Where he will take it upon himself to act in an evil way. So I think it's perfect timing for us. There's things that are very applicable for us, very practical of how to not be overcome with evil. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. If you remember from last week, Saul was right on the heels of David, just about ready to capture him when he got news that the Philistines were attacking Israel. Saul then focused his attention upon that battle, that war. I wonder if David was thinking, finally, I've got some victory, permanent victory here. Saul's not going to bother me any longer, only to find now that Saul is pursuing him once again. Have you ever thought that? This is going to be the breakthrough. There's going to be peace in my life. The financial difficulty is over. The relational, the health, health challenge is only to find out there's another challenge. We're finally through the, the big things that need to be replaced at the house, only to find that something breaks on the car. We're always going to have battles until we go home to be with the Lord, true? That's, that's when the permanent victory is finally going to come. This place in Gedity literally means wild goats because wild goats live there. Now, I'm going to give some permission here. I want you to participate if you've got an iPhone, a droid, an iPad, some kind of device where you can access the internet is just go ahead and get it out right now and resist the temptation to check all the scores, but do this. Type this in on your phone, okay? In Getty, look at verse one and type in E-N space G-E-D-I, kind of like Jedi, but with a G, in Getty, and then hit images on your search. 
okay? Because I think if you do this, it's really going to open up this passage to you. If you don't have the ability to do that, I'll try to give you a verbal description. I'd put it on the screens, but I don't think you could see it as well. The area of Israel is southern Israel, south of Jerusalem, by the Dead Sea. It's very arid, very hot, temperatures up to 120 degrees. Then you have these two canyons that go up called Engedi or wild goats. Water is coming in, waterfalls are coming in, and it's actually very, very lush. You would look to your right, you would look to your left, you can still take this hike to this day in Israel, and there's caves, and David is hiding in these caves in this very lush place in the midst of the desert and the wilderness. This causes, this context causes the Psalms to come alive. When David sings and he writes and he pins, he says, my soul pants after you like a deer thirsts for water. He's watching deer thirst for water and he's saying, my soul thirsts for the Lord in this manner. He's watching these goats. These goats that live there are short goats, but they have huge horns. The males have huge horns and then they've got Pastor Dan Hooker goatees, no joke. You guys know Pastor Dan, he's got the big, long goatee, and these goats have the, the big, long uh, go- goatee, and, and he's watching these animals come for refreshment, he's saying, God, this is how I long after you. He's, God, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're, you're my fortress. As he's hiding in these rocks, he realizes that God is the ultimate protection. Verse 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Saul gets his special forces, his 3,000 best soldiers to go after David and his men. He presses into these canyons. In verse 3, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Have you found the Bible to be an honest book? It's very real. Real people, real life, with real needs. What kind of needs do you think Saul had out here in the wilderness to where he would go in a cave alone? If he was just hot and tired and needed to rest, I think some of his bodyguards would have gone with him. I might be taking some interpretational license here, but I'm pretty sure that Paul's using the restroom. And God's not afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it in church. It's like, oh, he said restroom in church. You know, it's like, yeah, he needed to use the restroom. And so he was attending to his needs and he happens to go into the very cave where David and his men are hiding. Has to be a very large cave. 600 men, they're back in the recesses of the cave. Is this a coincidence or God's hand? This is God's hand. God sets this up for David to see how David is going to respond. This is the perfect opportunity to knock off his enemy, to knock off his nemesis, to knock off this man who's spending every day hunting for his life. It doesn't take very long for someone to suggest this in verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Notice what they're declaring to him. Hey, this is God. This is the Lord. 
God's promise has been given to you to be king and Saul's in your hand. You can do whatever seems good to you. It's very easy for people to put God's name on advice. Is this God's heart? Is this God's wisdom? Is this what God would have him to do? So if you're taking notes, write this down, think it through, is you have to reject ungodly counsel. If you don't want to be overcome with evil, you've got to reject ungodly counsel. This is not godly counsel. What if David would have started off his reign as king by murdering Saul? That's not the lesson here. That's not what God is doing. God is testing David to see if David will wait upon the Lord to allow God to deal with Saul. So turn over to Psalms 1. Look with me in Psalms 1, verse 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall not prosper. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's what David does. He realizes he gets ungodly counsel and he chooses to not kill Saul. Write this down. All advice is not godly advice. Amen? All advice is not godly advice. And these are trusted men. This is his 600 men who are fighting with him or are loyal to him. But what happens when evil is in front of us? Emotions get very high. Tensions get very high. And it's very difficult to keep emotion in check, to keep that tension in check, to not just respond based upon what we're feeling and go, what does God have to say about this particular situation? We have some opportunities to apply that. As you look at what's taking place in the world internationally and the attacks that are happening in Europe, and there's this huge shift, this huge land mass of people moving throughout the globe. Do you know that right now there's the biggest shift of people groups since World War II? There's more people moving around the planet since World War II. What does God's word have to say about that? And you're like, well, nothing. God's word doesn't say anything about it. Yes, it does. God's number one mission. Do you know what God's number one mission is? As that the people know his son. God made that very clear. That's what he declared to us. In Acts 1 and 2, when the Spirit of God was poured out, guess what? They heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. The people groups were gathered together in Jerusalem. I don't know all the details, but I know the big picture. And the big picture is this, is God wants every tribe, every nation, every tongue to hear the name Jesus, to be saved, to ultimately be around the throne of God. So we have to begin to Think biblically, think through the gospel, apply godly counsel to some of these situations that we're seeing. You may have a Saul in your life. It's even more personal. It's a boss at work. You know, you're like, man, th this boss is the epitome of the Antichrist, the devil incarnate. You know, it's, it's like Saul's living in my life. How, how do I deal with him? You're going to get a lot of counsel. You're going to get a lot of well-intending people that love the Lord and love you and say, well, this is how you need to be, deal with your boss. And you need to run that through Scripture and go, what is God saying? How can we reject ungodly counsel? There's only one way, and that's to delight in the Word of God. To take time to delight in it. 
to spend time in it, to meditate upon it, plant your roots deep into the word of God. And as you do that, then you have the counsel that's needed, especially in these difficult, evil situations. And David doesn't leave out the counsel of God as he's going through this. Continuing now in 1 Samuel 24 with verse four, and David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I want to know the details of how this worked. Saul's in there attending to his needs, and David's able to either sneak up real closely, stinky job, and cut the corner of the robe, or Saul set aside his robe, and it's over here in a corner, which gave David the opportunity to do this, but he comes in at close proximity and cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. Why did he do that? Why did he cut off the robe? What is David saying? I think two things. First is he saying, is I'm here and you're lucky you got out of here with your life. The second thing is he's saying, look, this robe is symbolic of your authority. Only the king wore this robe and your authority is being cut off. It's being cut, cut off from God. We're gonna find that David regrets this decision, that this isn't what God would want him to do, but we have to give David credit that he didn't kill Saul. This would have been the opportunity to, to kill Saul and he doesn't do it. It brings us to our second point this morning. Consider this with me. Is refuse to be overcome by evil. Do you see how if David would have murdered Saul that he would have been overcome with evil? So now let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and verse 21. Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of men. Repay no one evil for evil. This is one of the first Bible verses that I remember memorizing. And it's because my brother and I fought a ton. Well, well Matt did this and he started this and so I did that. My mom would say, son, don't return evil for evil. I'm like, come on, that's no fun. You know, like... That doesn't make any sense, Mom. Why would, you, why would you not return evil for evil? And we think about when someone does evil to us, what's our tendency? We want to do evil back to them. But then we've been overcome by evil. We've become what they are. So it's a choice that we make Do we say, I'm not going to return evil for evil. We have to understand the full counsel of God and God tells us to do justly, that there is justice. Romans 13 tells us that God sets up authority to deal with evil. And so we have our police officers, we have our, our military, we have judges. Those are appropriate places for justice to take place. We're thankful for our police officers in our community that, that risk their lives. Amen? We're, we're thankful for that. And that's where the appropriate place comes through. As fathers... You protect your children. As husbands, you protect your wife. I'm not going to apologize that we protect the children here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. That's justice. Where we're to do, to do justly. This is something different. This is moving away from justice and moving to the place of evil. Someone's done evil to me, so I'm going to do evil in return to them. And David refuses to do that. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men if it's possible. Saul doesn't want to live in peace. David desires to, and some people won't live in peace. But on our end, we want to be committed to peace. 
Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We'll come back to that. Hold on to verse 19. We'll come back to that later in the study. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Could God possibly mean this? If your enemy's hungry, you feed them? Was Jesus serious when he said to pray for those that despitefully use you to, to love your enemies? Yeah, that's what God means. That's what, how he wants us to respond to evil. That's what his intent and, and his will is. I remember hearing a speaker share uh, this story with a woman that he was counseling. Her husband uh, was caught in adultery. Then he went and lived with his new girlfriend. God spoke to the wife's heart to, to bake her husband his favorite cake and take it over to his house where he was living with this gal. And she's like, come on, God, no way. I'm not gonna take him this cake. If I take him this cake, it's going one place, in his face, right? But the Holy Spirit kept prompting her. So she did it, she obeyed. She brought this cake over, knocked on the door, handed it to her husband, and that began the process of softening his heart, of walking through two years of repentance and restoration. God used it to save their marriage. Now, does it always happen that way? If you do good to that Saul-like boss that's in your life, that really difficult person in your family or in your neighborhood, not always. It didn't happen with Saul, but sometimes it does. But I can guarantee you this. If you choose to do good and pray for that person that's done evil to you, it will release you of the bitterness in your heart. It will release you of the anger in your heart. You'll be able to move on. You'll be able to, to move forward. You'll be at that place of saying, I haven't been overcome with evil but I'm overcoming evil with good. How do we overcome the evil that's around us, the evil that's, that's within us? It's a commitment to do good. It's a commitment to follow Christ and what he's asked us to do, to be salt and to be light. One of the things that you've heard me saying over the last couple years is, I think that it's time where the body of Christ as a whole, not just in our church, but throughout the world, where we're no longer passive or complacent or spiritually asleep. How do you not respond to the things that we're seeing? And the right, appropriate response is not anger, it's not bitterness, it's not vengeance, it's not evil, but it's doing good, amen? This is a quote that you're probably familiar with. It says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, to do absolutely nothing. Maybe the worst response is this, where we're calloused and we don't care and we're not moved to following Christ. We're not moved to doing good. Could it be that for such a time as this, we're on the planet? That the Lord says, I've placed you in Colorado Springs for such a time as this, and we respond by saying, okay, Lord, I wanna do good. I wanna enter into the things that you've called me to do. So we refuse to be overcome by evil, by not returning evil, by walking in the call that God has asked us to do. So we go back to 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. Now it happened afterward 
that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. In verse six, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. I wonder if David's men were like, are you serious? This was the time to knock this guy off to kill Saul. We've been running for our lives and now you're up here and your heart is troubled because you cut off the corner of his robe? What are you smoking, David? Come on, get into reality here. But David didn't settle for that. He knows his heart is troubled. And this is number three, is to avoid being overcome with evil is we have to respond to conviction. We've gotta respond to conviction. We've gotta be open to, to the Lord going, you know what, that's not the right thought. Eric, it's not right for you to, to think that. You, that doesn't line up with my word. That doesn't line up with, with, with who I am. You, you can't just take off the, the corner of his robe. How easy it would have been to justify this. It's just the corner of his robe. I didn't kill him. I just took the corner of his robe. But here's David going, he's the Lord's anointed. David's honoring the position even when it's difficult to honor the person. God has given him this authority, so I need to honor God. I shouldn't have cut off his robe. To not be overcome with evil, we have to keep short accounts with God, like your library card. Ever had some fees pile up at the library a little bit? Ever lost a book at the library? Look around the house, can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. Get busy, don't keep track of it, and then finally you get that email from the library. They say, hey, it's been four weeks. If you don't bring this book in or pay the replacement fee, we're going to send you to the collection agency. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you could be at the collection agency over Dr. Seuss. You know? <laughs> You've let it pile up. You haven't kept short accounts with, with, with the library. And with the Lord, we want to keep short accounts. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to justify this. I'm not going to say, well, this is just the corner of the robe. Is there something in your life today where the Holy Spirit, as I'm speaking, is speaking to you and saying, you know what? It's a line that you crossed. And other believers, they might be fine with it. And they may have the freedom to do that. But I spoke to you to not go that direction and to respond to that. Saul never had a soft heart towards God's correction. But David does. And I think that that keeps him from being overcome by, by evil. Verse seven, so David restrained his servant with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David speaks to his men and says, no, we're not gonna do this. It would have been easy for David to say, well, I'm not gonna kill Saul, but if my men want to, go ahead. Then I can claim innocence in this. If we're going to get justice right when it comes in this discussion of things that we're facing in the world and in our, our community, we can't just go along with the angry mob. The angry mob is not going to end up with justice. The angry mob is going to end up with a place of saying, I'm going to take this into my own hands. There's a place for things to be dealt with. There's justice that needs to be done. Let that process unfold, but following the angry mob isn't going to lead to justice. David knows that. He's wise and says, I've got to restrain these men at this point. In verse 8, David also rose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. 
David risks something here. Saul's gonna go away and never know that David was in the cave. Now David comes to the mouth of the cave and he speaks words of humility. He says, you're my Lord and you're my king. Is that how you would have addressed Saul? Is that how I would have addressed Saul? I can think of a lot of other things that I probably would have called Saul, but not my Lord and my king. And then he has the posture of humility. He falls upon his face. He's showing respect. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. David's saying, it's proof. It's proof. I didn't kill you today. I don't want a rebellion, and I don't want to kill you. In verse 12, let the Lord judge between you and me. Let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Fourth thing to consider is this. Rely on God's vengeance. Rely upon it. That's what David's saying. David's saying, God, you're judge. You're judge. And if I'm wrong, God's gonna judge me. But Saul, if you're wrong, God's gonna hold you accountable. No one's gonna get away with it. You need to understand that. Maybe someone has wronged you. Maybe as you're, you're wrestling I'll be honest, the events of this week caused me to wrestle. I think of Officer Garrett, and he loves the Lord. He serves as a police officer, and he also serves as a pastor in his church. I looked at Hope Chapel's website on Saturday afternoon, and Garrett taught the last two Sundays. You can go listen to a sermon that he gave a week ago today. And God allowed him to go home and go to heaven step into eternity by the hands of a sinful man, by the hands of someone who's taken violence into their own, own hands. I mean, that, that causes us to wrestle, that God would allow that, that somehow that this is, this is in the midst of, of, his, of his plan. And sometimes I think it's too painful to stop and sit in the reality of some, some of these events, but no one's gonna get away with it. No one is, is going to be in that place where there isn't justice that comes from the hand of God. And like I've mentioned throughout this message, there is justice that comes through things that God set up in society, but that doesn't compare at all to standing before God. Everyone's going to stand before God. And the only thing that keeps someone from experiencing God's wrath and his judgment is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm guilty, and I'm a sinful man, and I deserve the judgment and the wrath of God. But if people have rejected Christ as their Savior, God is also one who brings vengeance, who brings justice, and there will be accountability. And we have to trust that. We have to rely upon that. And I think it probably even gets even more personal for some of you. You look at points in your life, and, and someone did, did evil towards you. Horrific things, things that are very difficult for you to even speak of. And you're like, where's God in that moment? How could 
my loving father allow this to happen and take place in my life? And God's word is this, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God wasn't absent in that moment. And that person, that group of people are gonna be held accountable before the Lord. And that's where David finds peace. That's where David rests. He says, God, you're judge. You're gonna take care of Saul. You're gonna deal with it. Saul is not getting away with his actions. In verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient said, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. David goes back to this wise saying, the wicked, they're gonna do wickedly. The wicked, unless they repent and get right with God, they're gonna continue in wickedness, but I'm not gonna be wicked. I'm not gonna allow my heart and life to go to the way of Saul. When you have spears thrown at you, when you have someone trying to hunt you and, and kill you, it's very easy to compromise. It's very easy to walk in a sinful way. And the commitment of David says, I'm not gonna raise my hand against you because you're the Lord's anointed. In verse 14, afterward whom also the king of Israel, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue, a dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David says, why are you spending all your time chasing after me? I'm a dead dog, I'm a flea, compared to the amount of time that you have to spend on other things. If I go the way of Saul and I allow myself to get bitter and angry and can get consumed with vengeance, I'm not gonna be a good father. I'm not gonna be a good husband. I'm not gonna be a good servant of the Lord because I'm so consumed with revenge. How good of a king do you think Saul was at this period? Terrible, right? Because all he can think about is kill David. I've got to get even with David. And what David's saying is saying, why don't you forget about me, let God be the judge, and get back to the business of being king. Verse 16, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. This was emotional for Saul. Saul's seeing the corner of his robe in the hand of David, recognizes David's voice, and he's moved emotionally. Though he's moved emotionally, we don't see Saul moving to repentance and having his actions change because he's getting right with the Lord. Verse 17, then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I've rewarded you with evil. So he's able to articulate it. David's doing good, I'm doing evil, and you have shown me this day have you, how you have dealt with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if, my, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And indeed, God does reward David because of the choices that he's made. Saul's able to realize it. Verse 20, and now I know indeed that you surely that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Isn't that amazing? Saul knows the truth and he knows it emphatically. He says, you indeed are gonna be king. Yet, he doesn't surrender to the truth that he knows. If he did, then Saul would have stopped trying to kill David. We'll read ahead and we'll find that Saul continues on this path of murder, continues on this downward spiral. If he surrendered to the truth, he'd say, okay, 
David's going to be king. I'm not going to try to kill him anymore. He may have even started trying to help his son-in-law. This is a lesson for us. It's not enough just to know a truth, to know the truth. We can know it. We can be convinced of it. Absolutely, this is it, surely. But we need to surrender our lives to it. Okay, God, this is what you're saying. This is what you're declaring. I want to live my life this way. Even if we don't do it perfectly, we're not going to surrender perfectly, but we're acknowledging the truth and we're saying, I want my life to be in line with the truth. I want my actions to be in line with what God's word has said. Verse 21, therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. This is far out. He's asking David for mercy. He realizes David's going to be king, and when you're king, don't kill all of my descendants. The chapter ends, so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David ends with this commitment. I'm going to honor my word that I'm not going to kill you. He will have another opportunity, but David will not kill Saul. Notice, though, Saul goes home, and David returns to the stronghold. David remains in a place of hiding in Engedi. Why? Because it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Because he's seen no change in Saul's actions. I hope that you see this. There's a difference, I believe biblically, between forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness is something that God would want us to grant to others because God's forgiven us. Jesus, when he died upon the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. However, restoration is found when there's repentance and there's fruits of repentance or actions of repentance. David has forgiven Saul. David doesn't allow bitterness to pile up in his heart and life. He's not vengeful and angry and hateful, but he's wise. And he says, we're not going to be restored in relationship until you change your behavior. It would be unwise for David to go back to the palace of a homicidal maniac until he stops being homicidal. You with me? So how does this work out in our lives? You forgive. Someone hurts you, you forgive. You extend that forgiveness because Christ has died for their sin. He's died for my sin. It'd be unjust for me to not extend forgiveness, but restoration in the relationship happens when? When there's fruits of repentance. Not perfection. No one's going to be perfect, but you're seeing a heart change. You're seeing a life change. You're seeing a change in action that says, now I can enter back into relationship, and that's restoration. At this point, these are just words from Saul. He may have been sincere about what he's feeling, but there was no actions beyond what, what he is feeling. So consider a few questions with me as we close this morning, as we try to apply the truth of God's word, is what counsel am I listening to? What counsel am I listening to? With the events of this week and the last couple weeks, am, am I listening to godly counsel? There's a lot of counsel out there. We live in a time where we're inundated with information. And are we meditating upon God's word and are we getting good godly counsel? What counsel am I listening to? Am I being overcome by evil? Am I living in fear? It could be very easy in the days that we live in or without even realizing it, we're getting overcome by evil. Satan's real, isn't he? What's Satan's mission? To steal, to kill, and destroy. 
Satan would want God's people walking around in fear. We have a loving Father. And if we're in a place of fear this morning, do you think our Father's angry with us? Is that what you do with your kids when your kids are fearful? Is, is he mad at you because you're having the response of fear? He wants us to come to him and he wants to comfort us. He wants to speak into our hearts that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If we're honest, we wrestle with fear and God, our loving father, wants to meet us in that place. Am I overcoming evil with good? Am I overcoming evil with good? As days get dark, the light shines the brighter. As things get more in a place of decay, salt has even a greater impact. Your good stands out. Your good stands out. I've recently been reading the book of Acts again. And the message of Acts, you've got a group of people that believe and love Jesus, and they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, do this. And they're like, okay, let's do it. See what God's got. It's not complicated. It's not us trying to cook something up. It's us going about our day today and being open to what the Holy Spirit says. Okay, I'll go talk to this person. I'll go spend some time with this person in my family. I'm gonna take some time to pray, following the leading of the Spirit. Am I overcoming evil with good? Am I responding to conviction? Do we have a corner of Saul's robe in our pocket and our hearts troubled? You came with a troubled heart this morning because the Spirit's wrestling with you and you've had some thoughts like, well, it's just the corner of the robe. Believers do this all the time. At least I didn't kill him. I'm sure better than I used to be. And yet the Holy Spirit's saying, come on. Come on, you gotta own this. It's the Lord's anointed. I want the corner of Saul's robe. Am I responding to conviction? And then finally, do I trust God's vengeance? That's a tough one. Do I trust God's vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I, I will repay. I grew up in the church. Maybe you did as well. And there's Sunday school answers when you're growing up in the church. I figured it out pretty quick. If I answer Jesus or John 3.16, I always got it right. You know? <laughs> pretty much whatever they asked, if I said Jesus or John 3.16, I was like, whoop, way to go. You, you got it. And it's easy for us this morning to go, do I trust in God's justice? Do I trust in God's vengeance? And to go, Yes but to go a little deeper, do I really? This person that's wronged me, do I trust? The things that are going on in the world, the things that are going on in our community, do I trust? God's the one who brings that, that vengeance. Would you stand with me and let's, let's pray together. Father, I acknowledge that it's just a real temptation and a real tendency to be overcome with evil. I have no doubt that that's the intent of the enemy to cause us to be discouraged, to be overwhelmed, to be overcome. But we know greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we just ask by your grace and your mercy for a special filling from your spirit for the times that we live in. We pray that for our church. We, we pray that for the churches throughout this city, God. Would you pour yourself out upon believers for this time? Would we supernaturally meet with you, walk with you, that we wouldn't be in that place of fear, but in the power of your Holy Spirit? God, we also pray for those that don't know you in our community, Lord, in our midst this morning, that you would pour out your love, that your name, your goodness would be proclaimed 
And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.